hear the word of God, which was given for our edification. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Amen. Father God, it is our desire to bless you this morning and to receive your blessing. And we just pray that as we uh, continue to worship by listening to, adoring your word, and uh, determining to follow after it, that uh, you would quicken that word to our hearts by faith, enable me to faithfully preach it. May you be lifted up and glorified in our responses to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our um, church kind of has a reputation for being hardcore soldiers who are engaged in hardcore ministry and love hardcore theology, and uh, that's good. That's a good thing. But it's uh, easy to become imbalanced when we focus on only one of the metaphors in the Scripture. And the, the metaphor of soldier is not the only metaphor that the Bible gives uh, with regard to um, uh, the church. The church is also likened to a garden, to a city, to a bride, to a child, and uh, quite a number of other metaphors. And each one of those metaphors supplies a different facet of what it means to live as a Christian. Now, some of you, I think, are very comfortable with certain metaphors and are a little bit uncomfortable with other uh, uh, facets that the Lord says that the church ought to be involved in. But just forget the metaphors. Just think in real life of a soldier a soldier is not 24 hours a day out there like Rambo blowing up buildings and, uh, you know, just enjoying uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the soldiering. He's also a trainer. He's an administrator. He goes home to his uh, nice, soft uh, wife. He enjoys playing with his kids. In other words, there are many facets to his life as well. And today what I want to do is I want to challenge you to develop and learn what it means to bless God and to be blessed by God in the worship service, but especially to bless God. Now, activists, I think, sometimes struggle with uh, quality time, whether it's with their uh, spouses or with God or whoever it may be. But I think deep down, every one of us really desires to please God and desires to be able to offer up something meaningful to God. But sometimes there seems to be something that just gets in the way and I'm hoping that we can work through that today. Um, just as an, an analogy, uh, sometimes we find it difficult to know what in the world to buy for the rich relative who already has everything. And there may be a certain sense in which we wonder, how in the world can we really meaningfully give God anything when God owns all things and he's created all things? How can we bless a God who needs no blessing? And uh, it just feels like it's, it's just a, a ritual that we're going through. How is it that we can minister to God when God doesn't really, in the absolute sense, uh, need to be ministered to? Well, the Scripture speaks to this issue in some rather bold and uh, encouraging language. For example, Exodus 31:17 speaks of God being refreshed in the worship on the Sabbath. Now, how in the world could that be? If God never gets tired, the Bible says he never, neither grows weary, you know, and uh, he, he's all powerful. He uh, doesn't get tired. He doesn't get drained. How can he be refreshed? Well, obviously, it's a metaphor 
but we're going to be trying to trace through to what these kinds of metaphors are driving at. Um, another scripture speaks of God rejoicing over us with love as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, or God longing, his heart longing for his own. And this psalm, I think, is just about as bold. Once you understand uh, the Hebrew, it says, Behold, bless the Lord. Now that word bless, uh, Barak, when you understand what it means, you're going to begin to puzzle how in the world could we bless God. We can understand God blessing us in verse 3, but how do we bless God? The dictionary says that this word means to endue with power for success, prosperity, fecundity, longevity, etc. It's the opposite of curse, and it re relates to bringing encouragement to somebody's heart and bringing prosperity or blessings or other things into other people's lives. So how in the world, we can understand how God blesses us, but how do we bless God in any sense of that term? Um, though God needs nothing, because he has chosen to enter into relationship with us, he has made it possible for us to bless him who needs no blessing. In fact, mysteriously, he has made it possible for uh, uh, things to be when we are out of relationship with God, for God to miss us in some way, even though God has no need. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have all of the fellowship they've ever needed throughout all of eternity. There has been no need, and yet the Scripture speaks in that kind of language. Hosea 11, verse 8 says, My heart churns within me. And Jeremiah 31, 20, likening Israel to, uh, to a son, it says, My heart yearns for him. It's almost like there is a need, yet God has no need. It's like, you know, the kid's gone off to camp, and it's like, oh, I'm already uh, missing my child. And that's the kind of language that the Lord is using of Israel. Uh, scripture is abundantly clear. We can minister to the heart of God. We can bless the heart of God. And uh, one of the uh, striking metaphors that's used in the Scripture is in Revelation, where it speaks of Christ outside the church door, knocking on that church door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And so it's a picture of Jesus desiring this fellowship in the church. Now, he has all the power in the world to bust down that door, but he wants a relationship and he is seeking to develop that relationship. And so he ministers to us and he wants us to minister to him in much the same way. There is a reciprocity reciprocity in this, uh, in this psalm. The Lord's blessing us, we're blessing him with the things that he's blessed us with. But it's exactly the same term, we minister to the Lord as the Lord ministers to us. And so I want to take a look at some keys that can help us to unravel what it means to bless the heart of God. And uh, we'll just take them uh, one after the other. The first key is concentrating or focusing on the Lord. The psalm starts with the word behold, and according to the dictionary, it's an interjection that's supposed to get somebody's attention. You know, maybe somebody is uh, missing a point, and in essence, it's saying, pay attention, focus, concentrate. In our busyness, it's very easy to take God for granted, and when we do so, we rob ourselves of joy, but we also rob God of joy. Uh, it's in paying attention to God and focusing ourselves upon Him that we find joy in Him and uh, we bring Him joy. Deuteronomy 28, 63 is, The Lord rejoiced over you. It talks about us 
following after him. First Chronicles 16.10, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. It's in taking time to glory in God's name and in seeking after him that we find pleasure, that we find blessing in our lives. Uh, what was the secret of Enoch's uh, joyful walk with God? Well, in part, it was walking <laughs> with him. But Hebrews says this in chapter 11, verse 5. He had this testimony that he pleased God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. What is your focus in worship? Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now that's a power of concentration if all that is within me is focused on blessing the Lord's name. The next verse goes on to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's aligning our thought processes so that they do not wander. We've got a, a focus of our attention. And it's so easy for our minds to wander in the worship service where we're thinking about something that happened last uh, week, you know, or we see a fly uh, uh, lighting on somebody's head and walking around, and that gets us in a train of thought going elsewhere. And 10 minutes later, we all of a sudden realize, what's been going on here? You know, our minds have been totally spaced out uh, from uh, what's been happening in the worship service. And so he's saying that... We, everything inside of us and our thoughts themselves are focused uh, with very great deliberation on trying to worship the Lord. So easy for the mind to wander, and it's a guarantee that we will diminish God's joy and we will diminish our own joy in the worship service. See, God is not delighted in perfunctory worship. Um, in Malachi, he likens perfunctory worship to people who have a, you know, a... A, a lamb with a broken leg and it's uh, got scabies and it's got problems with it. And he says, you know, this lamb might even be dying here soon. We might as well give it away as a gift. And they bring it to the governor. He says, the governor's not going to receive that. And he says, why would we bring lame and sick sacrifices? And he's talking about the worship that we're offering up to the Lord. He says, why in the world uh, would, we, would we do that? <clears throat> a relationship in marriage. Another analogy, needs at least some times of concentration. And God uses precisely the marriage analogy uh, to get across to us our ability to bless God's heart when we are willing to be undistractedly focused on devoting time to Him. In Song of Solomon, he says, Come with me, return, return, O Shulamite, how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. And when you think about that, it's just mind-boggling that we can be some of God's delights, you know, that we can bring delight and pleasure to the Lord. How in the world uh, can that be? And yet God says that that is exactly uh, what, is, um, uh, what is true. When we concentrate on him, that's the first key. You can bless God and the church by putting away wandering minds, beholding him, concentrating on him, and focusing. The second key is to seek first and foremost to bring him pleasure in the worship service. Now, that's not to say we're not going to be blessed. Uh, verses 1 through 2 talk about blessing God's heart, and then verse 3 talks about God blessing our heart. But, uh, so there's reciprocity there, but the order is not by accident. We find blessing in seeking God's blessing, but the reverse is not always true. Uh, when we seek our own blessing first, we don't enjoy God nearly so much. Now, we may be enjoying ourselves, in fact, uh, sometime you may want to read in Ezekiel chapter 33, the last few verses there, 
<clears throat> Ezekiel's, you know, encouraged. There's tons of people coming to his church, and they love his preaching, and it says that they enjoy the worship service as much as going to a concert where there's a beautiful voice and there's beautiful instruments that are playing, and yet God says, I had no pleasure in that worship service whatsoever. They were enjoying themselves. In Isaiah chapter 1, God says, I am weary of their worship. He's absolutely weary of it. In, um, in uh, Amos chapter 3, uh, it, 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 it says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Why? They were having fun. Uh, it was a blast going to the worship service there. But the reason why, if you study those passages, is that they missed this key. They were looking for what would bless their hearts, what would be important to them, rather than saying, Lord, what is, is it that you want in the worship service? In fact, really, this is the essence of the regulative principle of worship. Uh, many people are out there crafting their worship services to reach out uh, to unbelievers. And so they ask, well, what would unbelievers like? Well, they wouldn't like this. Uh, you know, communion's exclusionary, so let's not uh, have communion in the worship service. And uh, we don't want repentance because that might people, make people uncomfortable. And, and the blood, oh man, that'll freak people out. Let's not mention anything like that. And so the whole service is crafted to please not God, but to please others, Right? And whether it's unbelievers or whether it's ourselves, it's completely reversing it. It's not that we don't delight, but we're delighting as a side benefit of bringing delight to the Lord. I think that's the, the whole goal in the psalm is the people come together to the sanctuary of the Lord. And this is a universal principle of life. Those who give the most in worship receive the most in worship. Those who give the most in, in, in marriage and are seeking, how can I best please my spouse end up over time receiving the most uh, in marriage. And it's even true of God. God has the most pleasure in this universe, according to the scriptures, because he has sought to bring the most pleasure to other people. Uh, in Numbers 24.1, for example, it says, it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Now, that's so cool. God found pleasure by bringing pleasure to Israel. He was blessed by bringing blessing to other people. And so this psalm starts with the purpose of blessing the Lord and it ends with being blessed. But we might want to ask the question, well, why does he have to give this as a command? You'd think that'd just be second nature for us. That'd be the easiest thing for us to do. And yet he gives the command because he knows it is foreign to our flesh to be other-centered. We tend to be self-centered. What can I get out of this worship service? Oh, this... Uh, it's too bad Pastor Kaiser is preaching on that topic. I already know everything about that one, you know. And we're looking for what I can give rather than throughout the whole service saying, Lord, how can I bless you? How can I respond to your word? And how can I interact in a way that will bring pleasure uh, to you who is the delight of my heart? Now, the, the mystery is, how can we bless a God who needs no blessing? I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know the scripture says we can do it. And in that, I rejoice because now I feel there is a significance to the things that I offer up to him. Obviously, this means, as another side note, that blessing somebody is not dependent on their being needy, right? If I can bless God and God is not needy, then that means blessing is not dependent upon neediness. Now you take that and apply it to the Lord's blessing in our lives. Is the only time the Lord's going to bless us when we're needy? You know, we're scratching around, barely making a living? Not at all. Blessing's not dependent upon neediness. Uh, it says in Psalm 36, verse 8, that God causes us to, quote, drink from the river of your pleasures. Now, 
can we drink a whole river? <laughs> There's no way. You know, God's opening up the faucet and there's so much pleasures that the Lord wants to pour into our lives, there is no way you could possibly get everything and drink everything from that river. That's the kind of delight that the Lord desires to bring into our heart, the river of his pleasures. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so blessing is not dependent on neediness. We are needy. You know, we, we know what it's like to bring blessing to needy children in our families. But don't ever think because God is not needy, we cannot bless him. We bring delight to him despite the fact he needs nothing. And he delights in bringing blessing to us even when we are full to overflowing. He keeps pouring more of the river of his delights into our lives. Paul made it his goal, quote, that I may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, not half-heartedly pleasing him. There, that, that implies fully pleasing him that there is various levels of pleasure that the Lord is brought by his people, right? And he says, I make it my life goal that I might be fully pleasing to the Lord. And that's a tremendous goal. Scripture is clear. There are some things that we do that bless God's heart, and there are other things that we do that do not bless his heart. In fact, he says he has no pleasure whatsoever in them. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. And so there's an attitude of heart that brings delight to the Lord. When we have a reverence for him, when we fear the Lord, it says it just makes his heart delighted. You want to delight the Lord? Develop the fear of the Lord in, in your heart. Uh, the same passage says he takes pleasure in those who hope in his mercy. Who hope in his mercy. Colossians 3 verse 10. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So you children, you want to find out how in the world can I make the Lord just delighted? How can I give a gift to the Lord where the Lord's just going to say, this is so cool. I love this. Uh, I, I find pleasure in this. Well, obey your parents in all things, he says. Be quick to do it from your heart, and you are going to bring delight to the heart of the Lord at the same time. Again, measure, uh, degrees of pleasure we bring to God. Colossians 1.10 speaks of, uh, of ways of being, quote, fully pleasing to Him. 1 Timothy 5.4 says, when we take care of our families and we provide as God intended us to provide, he says, he is so delighted with us. When we don't, he is so displeased with us. Um, uh, he speaks in um, the scripture of our worship as being a pleasing aroma or as being a stench. But just the thought that when we are worshiping together, that it's an aroma that brings pleasure to the Lord is an encouragement in our worship to bring more. Uh, singing uh, to God can bring pleasure. Psalm 69, verse 31 speaks of the singing that says, This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull. And I've got a whole list in my footnotes uh, here of all kinds of different ways in which it says our actions, our thoughts, uh, the ways in which we relate to each other bring pleasure to the Lord. They bless Him and uh, that um, they please him. Now, the point of this particular point here is that when we are wrapped up in receiving a blessing, many times we can miss that blessing. Whereas when our heart is concerned about blessing God and pleasing him, we find ourselves receiving great pleasure in God. And so don't just think of what you can get out of the worship service. 
Uh, the regulative principle of worship is not intended to be legalistic. It's intended to say, Lord, how can I best please you? It's wrapped up in him. The third step is identifying yourself with God's beloved bride. Verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Now, God is blessed by having a people, uh, having a bride, drawing together a great company, and he's going to be more blessed as uh, this company continues to increase and the kingdom continues to advance. Psalm 149 says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. And so God delights in finding a unity amongst God's people where they worship together. And I'm convinced uh, there is not going to be revival in Omaha or in America or in other countries until people begin to think beyond their own church, beyond just, you know, their identifying with their denomination. If God values the bride as a whole... To the degree that we value that bride, we will be bring pleasing to him. And to the degree that we despise the bride that he delights in, to that degree we're going to be displeasing to him, right? And so if we're intent on bringing pleasure to the Lord, what are some of the things we should be involved in? We should be blessing other believers. We should be taking pleasure in the things that other, God takes pleasure in. So when we find people from a different persuasion... Than, uh, than we are of, but they are part of the bride of Christ and Christ has embraced them. We need to embrace them, right? Now, God hates the bad theology, right? And so if we really love these people, we love the Lord, we're going to say, oh, Lord, help me to convince these people of the beauties of the word of God, the beauties of these doctrines, but we're not going to be throwing them off, you know, and despising them. Instead, we're going to be loving them by giving those doctrines because we want God to even be more delighted with these people as they are uh, drawn to his heart. And so we need to identify with all the servants of the Lord. Now, let's look at that just from a, a slightly different angle. Why does it bless God's heart when we ourselves delight in his bride? Uh, one analogy I've used in the past uh, is uh, Kathy has mentioned a number of times when she sees me playing with the kids that it just makes her heart feel good. Uh, it warms her heart to seeing the kids enjoying time with dad. Now, that's maybe just a small analogy of the way the Lord finds great delight when we, out of our comfort zone and beyond our... our um, you know, schedules that are busy, we take time to bless the hearts of other people. This is one of the reasons why I desire so much to bring uh, reform, reformation to the church of Jesus Christ because it is in such a shambles and I value the bride of Christ and I want to bring pleasure to the Lord. And so we involve ourselves in the lives of other people. But this passage says, Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. If you want God's pleasure to rest upon you, take pleasure in his bride. Spend time with his bride. Four times in the Old Testament, God told Israel, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. So value what God values. That's one way to bless his heart and one way to find blessing in your heart as well. So uh, think of it this way. There's going to be more blessing in your life within the bride, your identification with it, than just being off in the desert uh, all, all by yourself someplace. Bless him in the sanctuary where all of his servants are. Now, the fourth key is to be completely at God's disposal. We are called servants 
in verse 1. Psalm 149 says, God takes pleasure in the humble. He takes pleasure in the humble. Whereas in James it says, He resists the proud and He takes no pleasure in the proud. Uh, Psalm 35, 27 speaks of this reciprocal joy between God and His people. Um, and he says, It takes place when servants know their place. <clears throat> let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. There is the servant's heart. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now, it's not as if God doesn't elevate us, but he loves elevating us when we don't elevate ourselves. I think that's the point. He's elevated us in all kinds of ways. He's taken us out of the miry pit and set our feet upon a rock. You know, he's, he has transplanted us into his kingdom. He's adopted us as sons and daughters. He's seated us together with Christ in the heavenlies. I mean, he's exalted us in so many ways. But when we strut around like a, a peacock, you know, and we say, well, I'm a king. I'm, I'm above, you know, being doing that kind of menial chore. Then God says he's not delighted in that because he resists the proud but gives more grace uh, to the humble. And so the attitude that we should have is, yes, we recognize we are kings. Yes, we recognize the authority that we have with Christ Jesus, but we have servants' hearts that are at God's disposal. We love to serve Him, to serve His people, and to lay down our lives for His cause. When we have that, we're going to find ourselves bringing pleasure to the Lord, and there's going to be that reciprocal joy that's going to be transplanted back into our hearts as well. And so here's my question. Are you really at God's disposal? Do you really uh, treat yourself as a servant of the Most High? And if so, how does it show? In what ways do you serve the Lord? How do you serve His purposes, His priorities? Do you love the things He loves and hate the things that He hates? The fifth key is something that I'm still not very good at, um, but uh, I keep practicing at it, and that is that we need to worship God with our whole being. Now, if you think that worshiping uh, God with your mind glorifies God and brings pleasure to Him, you're exactly right. <laughs> because the Scripture says we're to love Him with all of our mind, right? And I wish that more Christians in America would love God with their minds, that they would put their minds in gear and dig deep, deeply into the theology of Scripture, read systematic theology. You know, they're, they're written to be read. People, you know, they, they buy systematic theologies and they just sit on their shelf. They've never read through them. They buy commentaries and they never read through them. No, they're, they're, they're written to be read, right? And they're to help align our hearts with His purposes to get us to love Him with our minds. But hey, why do I preach on that? You guys are all good at that. What God also says is we're to love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strength. Uh, one of the sermons that Greg Bonson preached toward the end of his life that really blessed my socks off was a sermon that dealt with loving God with our emotions. He said he had neglected that for most of his life and he had failed to put his emotions under the lordship of Christ and serve Christ with his emotions and it was a, such a convicting sermon. Uh, in this sermon, uh, he was saying what we as Presbyterians really need to do is allow ourselves to have that, that emotional life in the Lord that the psalmists are continually talking about. And, uh, you know, there's many other dimensions, worshiping God uh, with, uh, with our bodies. And this passage here says we are to bless, we're to stand, we're to lift up our hands to the Lord. 
Now, if that freaks you out, you know, the idea of lifting your hands to the Lord, then just realize it's blessing God's heart. You can say, okay, Lord, if being freaked out blesses your heart, okay, I'll do it, okay? And, 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 and so we're to lift our hands in the sanctuary. Now, if, if you want to start practicing at home, that's the way I kind of did it. I am so reserved. This is not me, you know? And so <clears throat> when I'm at, at home praying in my office, there's different things that help to draw out the different dimensions of my whole being in worship and just bring such pleasure to me as I know I'm bringing pleasure to the Lord. So one of the things that I do, rather than just being, you know, just quiet and praying in my head, which lends itself to falling asleep, <clears throat> I um, pray out loud and sometimes raise my voice. Many times in the scriptures it talks about uh, praying to God with a loud voice, right? And there are some prayers that sure lend themselves to uh, praying with a loud voice. And I have found that it, that has affected an energy within me in my prayer life. And there's other times where I, I will walk around and uh, gesticulate and just pound my fist because I am so distressed over something that I am praying about or lift my hands or sometimes I'm kneeling on the ground. And I've, I've had to change my pants enough times that I've learned you put down some papers so you don't dirty your knees. But uh, kneeling gives an entirely different emotional feel to your prayer than when I stand up and raise my hands to heaven. And why has God done this? He has made us whole people. Our bodies affect our spirit. And you know that. When you've got the flu and you're feeling down and out, it affects you even spiritually, doesn't it? And it makes you depressed and feel sad. And so... Sometimes what we need to do when our emotions and when our spirit is not where we want it to be, we move our spirit by causing our bodies to be in the kind of postures or doing the things that um, we wish our spirit would be doing. And lo and behold, after a while, you find your spirit coming into line. And so even though it's only mentioned here, you read through the Psalms and you cannot miss it over and over again. It speaks in the scripture of using our bodies, using our emotions, our whole beings to the Lord's service. And I quoted that Psalm earlier. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then it goes on and it mentions the mind and it goes on and mentions the body. You go through that psalm, by the time you're done, if you're really practicing it, you're going to be a joyful Christian. Why? Because it's not just your mind that's in gear, it's also your, your bodies. <clears throat> Sixth, acknowledge the bigness of God. What kind of a God is it that you're blessing? Hopefully it's not the finite God that... Um, the openness of theology uh, talks about who really can't accomplish a whole lot without the help of a pile of people cooperating with him. Uh, the God that it mentions here is the God who made the heavens and the earth. He says in verse 3, the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you. Now, when you start thinking in terms of how great and how big God is, it makes our shallow, wimpy prayer requests almost um, unworthy of God. And your prayer life is going to be elevated as your vision of God is elevated. Now, I, one of the exercises I do with people sometimes when <clears throat> they've got um, bitterness against a spouse or against some person at work, and uh, they just have real frustration dealing with um, that person, as I encourage them to write down 50 things about that person that they really appreciate. 
they look at me and say, well, that's why I'm here. I really don't appreciate anything about this person. Now, I don't know. I, I'm not going to take that for an answer. Uh, there's all kinds of things about that person that you can really appreciate. Uh, they've been made in the image of God. You know, maybe they get up at the same time every morning and they actually put away their clothes. Or maybe they don't, but they, uh, they, they, there's something there, you know. And so they'll struggle for a while and I'll make them go back and I say, okay, 15 is pretty good, but I want you to do 50. And they keep uh, working on that. And after a while, they begin to realize, you know what's happened is my bitterness has completely blinded me to all of the good things in this person's life. And as I began writing those down, as I began praising God for the good things in that person's life, it completely changed my attitude toward that person. Okay, take that and apply it to God. What many times happens with us is we are so focused upon the miseries that we are going through. You know, my back hurts or, um, you know, so-and-so is not getting along well with me or I don't have enough income. And we begin to get bitter against the Lord himself because the Lord's the one who sovereignly brought all of these things, right? And so what we need to do, my homework assignment for you, is you need to write down and begin to meditate upon the greatness of God. You need to meditate upon how holy He is and how powerful He is and that the, the little problems that are around me, they're nothing for God. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. How did God make the heavens and the earth? Did He work on it for a billion years and finally after exhausting labors for, you know, all of this evolutionary decades, he finally says, whew, we finally got to man. And I don't know if it's going to work out, but uh, we're going to keep trying. No. God said, let there be, and there was, right? This is the power of God. When God blessed the animals and he said, be fruitful and multiply, did they obey? They did, right? Anytime he blesses, it happens. When God blessed Adam and Eve, when he blessed the Sabbath day, do you think when people laid hold of the Sabbath day, they got blessings in their lives? Absolutely, yes. Because when God speaks, it is done. When God says, be blessed, it is going to be done. And so when you put yourself in the place of blessing, and the Sabbath is one of those places of blessing, God says he delights to bless those who lay hold of his Sabbath, then you're going to find those blessings rolling into your life as well. Now, one of the points that I should make here is that means that the blessing is not dependent upon your circumstances. In fact, it's not dependent really upon anything that happens within the church worship service. One of the things uh, I hadn't even thought about it until I was just here that really blew me away and convicted me when I was up in Canada... I went to the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland. It was just a little tiny congregation, and there was almost nothing in the worship service outwardly that lent itself to, you know, kind of the emotional things that people look for in worship services. Uh, the guy was a, an incredibly boring sp speaker, and he had things timed exactly an hour and you wondered, boy, he could have finished half an hour ago. It's just, I, I've never seen a person be able to talk so long about nothing. And it just went on, and he never looked you in the eye. He was trained. You never look people in the eye. So the whole time, he has his eyes pointed up at the corner of the, of the room. There was no instruments. The music was pitiful, and it was a little bit depressing. But you know what? One of the things that I noticed as I was looking around is people with tears 
streaming down their faces, tears of joy as they were worshiping the Lord. And it mystified me at first because I saw nothing to be weeping for joy over, just to be weeping, you know, for, for uh, boredom over, you know. And I learned how to worship God in that boring worship service as I've never learned to worship before. Because there were no outward things that would, you know, w- would help. But it, it helped me to focus It helped me to begin meditating upon the greatness of God, to begin responding instead of just passively sitting there like a blob. Begin saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want in my life. Or forgive me, Lord, for having responded to your word in that way. Constantly talking back and forth to the Lord. But we've gone off on a a rabbit trail there. But um, this is really a faith issue. How big is your God? Well, he's the God who breathed the worlds into existence. John 20, verse 29 says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, Galatians 3, 9, Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Those who are of faith. It's a faith issue. How big is your God? Do you really believe that he's able to handle the problems that are set before you? Uh, And you know what? We always think, handle them in a way that's going to be blessing me, right? Because he's going to take the problems away. No, that's not the way to be thinking. That's reversing the role. Our goal is to be pleasing the Lord. And so we say, I've got a problem. I've got a health problem. And so the, the first issue out of our mouth is not, oh, Lord, just take away these problems. Our role is, Lord, help me to glorify you with these problems. And if I can better glorify you by taking them away, Praise Jesus, that'll be great, that'll be wonderful. But Lord, I am intent, no matter whether it's in pain, in difficulty, in sorrow, whatever the thing may be, I want to glorify you with that. And I have a faith that you are big enough to help take me through my problems and around them, if you choose, or take the problems away. But no matter what your choice is, I have a faith that you are big enough. Uh, Hebrews 10:38 gives the reverse side of the coin. It says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What is that saying? You cannot bless God unless you are men and women and children of faith. It is faith. It is, it is a heart that sees the bigness of God that brings incredible pleasure to God. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoa! You cannot bless God, it says. It's impossible to bless God. It's impossible to bring, bring Him any pleasure unless you are a man, a woman of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not saying he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek themselves and pray, pray, give me, give me, but he says you have to have faith that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The seventh and the last key to blessing God's heart is to consider it a blessing to be in God's presence. You know, (laughs) just think of how you would feel when people pull up a chair to you and and they just consider it such a great privilege to be around you. Doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that make you feel good when people acknowledge your contributions and they say, you know, I so much appreciate the things that you are doing, right? Right? It makes us feel great. 
Well, think of that in terms of, of God. Um, consider it to be an incredible blessing to come to church and to be in God's presence. Uh, he is saying that he values Zion, the city of God, the bride. And it says, the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Zion is what? It's the people of God, right? Zion is the church. And this is one of the reasons why the early church valued coming to church so much. They didn't want to be robbed of blessing. They knew God blesses out of the midst of Zion. This is why the reformers uh, valued church so much because they valued blessing the heart of God. They wanted to be where they could bless God most and where God would bless them. And so corporate worship is extremely important, and I want you to value it. I want you to practice it. Ask God to give you a heart for it. Bless the Lord in Zion, and the Lord in turn will bless you out of Zion. A Christian life really should be a life of joy and blessing. In fact, one of the books that I would really, I mean, one of the authors I would really encourage you to start reading and reading and reading on is John Piper. Uh, Piper has developed such a depth of... Um, of this devotion to God, this centeredness on God, that it has given me uh, just an insatiable appetite. I, I desire my life to be more and more conformed to the way his life is conformed to that. One of the books I'm reading through right now is uh, Pleasures, The Pleasures of God. It just blows me out of the water. I can't even read a whole chapter. I read little sections and just sit there in awe and worshiping God. That is a book, I think, that's a great place to start, but there's so many other good books by, by John Piper. And what I'm trying to do in this sermon is say, you don't have to have a big, long passage to go through, but as you go into the Scriptures, just see how you can bless God through those Scriptures and where God's heart is coming out to you. And God desires your pleasure, but He desires you to start by bringing Him pleasure. It's in seeking His glory and His fame and, and the spreading of His name and, and, and spending time with Him. It's in that that your heart is going to be more and more and more filled. But if you're always out looking, how can I be blessed and how can I be happy, it's going to elude you like a butterfly. You know, the, the parable where you, as long as you're chasing that butterfly, it just keeps flitting around, you can't catch it. And you stand still and the butterfly comes and lights on you. Well, it's sort of like that. Sort of like that. Christian life should be a life of joy and blessing. And if you're not experiencing it, well, ask if you've not been blessing God. Start there. Ask if you have not been blessing God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And may the Lord bless you from Zion. Amen. Father God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you so much for your word. Father, so many times we read your word with blind eyes. We need your Holy Spirit. We pray with David of old, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. O Lord, give us new eyes to see. Give us new eyes to look at the difficulties that are around us and see in those difficulties the beauty of your hand, the kindness of your hand, and, and the blessings as you are seeking to draw our hearts to you. I pray, O oh God, that you would enervate within us a love and a devotion to you and a desire to continually bless your heart that we might stand in the way of blessing. Father, you have called us to a life that is so filled with joy. You have said that our cup might be full, a cup of joy that we cannot fit any more in. 
And yet, Father, I think if most of us are honest with ourselves, uh, we are bereft of joy in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to realign our lives to your purposes and stand in the way of drinking of the rivers of your delights. Father, may we know those pleasures that are at your right hand. And may we seek uh, as, as those who are seated with Christ in the heavenlies to live in your presence, to walk in your presence, to have a constant awareness of your presence and power. Father, do cause your blessing to rest upon this people. But may it be, Father, as they bless you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.